Hi, everyone. This is Gloria, the host of the Loving the Work You Do podcast. Welcome to one of the episodes in the grief series. And today I have with me, I have Tisha Harvey. She is a mom. She is also an upcoming author. She is also someone who works with the veterans um, community, the homeless veterans community. And uh, thank you for serving, um, actually. And um, I love that she is also a social worker. Has two teenage boys, so she's probably just she's just like me. I have three boys. Um, she has two, but you know we're still boy moms. Hashtag. And um, so definitely glad to have you here. Um, looking forward to what you can share personally about your experience. You lost your mom and then you also lost the father of your kids. And um, those two events started you on a journey for advocacy and also to be able to help other people Thank you, Gloria, for having me. And so, yes, I am a social worker and my degree, um, it's an MSW degree, Master in Social Work, holding an associate clinical position right now. And um, my mom passed in June of 2019. Uh, It was the summer after my first year of grad school. And then um, my kid's father was murdered in April 2020. So not even a year apart. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yes, thank you for having me on the show. And I am excited to share um, things that have helped me um, heal during this time and also move forward. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I know like I try to do my best in introducing people, but of course I always ask um, people to share a little bit about themselves. So can you introduce yourself to the people listening? Yes, so uh, like Gloria said, I am the mother of two teen boys. My boys are 13 and 15. I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco. So I'm a California girl, born and raised. And I am the middle of five. Um, I grew up, uh, like the majority of my childhood, we were homeless and uh, struggled a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, watching my mom struggle and um, overcome her addiction, it just empowered me to, move forward and know that I can do anything that I set my mind to. Uh, I never had, um, well, I I would say I I struggled a little bit in school growing up. I do have a learning disability and I was in special ed a lot. And so um, I never would have thought that I would be where I am today. Like with a master's degree, this was something that um, I did not see, foresee in my future. And it wasn't until I had my second son where my uh, oldest son's teacher and speech therapist actually encouraged me to go back to school. And I started with early childhood education and I just continued to chip away at it. And then the love for learning developed um, as I uh, became more educated and um started to really 
take it serious and pursue my education. And so I was at the JC for 12 years back and forth <laughs> before I went to the university. And so once I got my BA degree, I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can keep going. I, I, I took a break for a year or so. And then I was like, I'm just gonna do it and apply for the master's program. And I got into both programs that I applied to. And wow. so um, the rest is history. Like I, um, I am very excited to move forward and for what's to come and share my story. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to come on your show today. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh, learning disability. Um, you know, that is not part of the grief story that we want to share, but I just want to sit with it a little because, you know, even little things um, can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a, apart from the, the, you know, we're in a time period where everybody talks about um, mental health, but there's not a lot of awareness yet to you know the role that those type of um things play like speech not being able to enunciate the right words at the right time like i for one have like some letters that i don't pronounce well um i always thought it was because i was you know born in here went to nigeria to study da da da, da. but i have a friend in the education field and she was like yeah you know i grew up in nigeria to I don't think that's your problem. And she still owes me, if she ever listens to this episode, she owes me like a session with Spell Read, which oh. is one of the things she does, where she said she'll help me figure out the letter and I'll relearn how to pronounce it. But, but all that to say, like, noticing that thing even in me made me notice it in one of my kids. Oh. And so at some point, he ended up taking um, supportive classes and programs to help him um, with this speech too. Um, and, you know, I think we overlook all those things, but it makes such a difference um, in, in our life. You mentioned JC. I, I wonder, like I was thinking, JC, isn't that like- um, Junior college. Oh, that's, mm, mm. yeah. I overthought that already. I'm like, isn't that like a speaker's club or something? Okay, <laughs> junior college. What's junior college? Um, so community a community college, a community college. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. It's, it's a I, shame um, you know that. <laughs> I, I, when I was a younger, I always had a dream of becoming a nurse. And so when I first started at the uh, community college, I started with prereqs for the nursing program. And I got discouraged really fast because I was struggling with the classes and I wasn't having any success. And I just was like, um, I, and then I got a job as a CNA, as a nursing assistant. Mm. So once I got that job and then I got this, um, I was at one of the biggest hospitals in San Francisco at UCSF. I was like, oh, I'm working, I'm making good money. I don't need to go to school. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I would go to school, then take a break, then go to school and take a break. So I didn't get serious with school mm. until I was like 26 years old. Mm. I think that CNA field does that to you. Um, you know, speaking um, not out of knowing anything, but I see how it helps like most people in like the immigrant community. Oh, yeah. um, you know, they can come in with whatever degree they have and then, you know, immediately they can get um, 
jobs in, in that field. So yeah, it's a lucrative field. Um, so how were you able to go from that um, CNA position to now notice that you liked things that were related to social work and then to be able to chart your way through there? So it, um, I had left my job at UC and I was out of work for a while and I was volunteering in my son's um, class. My oldest son was actually born deaf. And so he mm -hmm. was in a toddler program and very intense program where he had speech therapy and I would volunteer in the classroom and they, uh, the teacher and the speech therapist came to me one day and was like, we want to get you a job. We, you know, there is something there. You are really good with the kids. I want you, we want you to go back to school and figure this out and we're going to support you. And they found a way for me to take a test to get, because I didn't have any early childhood education units. Mm -hmm. So I took a test at the uh, school district and I um, started working for San Francisco Unified School District. And then I started going to the community college and I took early childhood education and mm -hmm. I just started chipping away at it. And so I graduated from the community college with my um, early childhood education certification. And oh, then I went into the university and my goal was to become a speech therapist. When I, um, I got into the communicative disorders program at San Francisco Unified, I mean, at San Francisco uh, University. And once I got into that program, it was like a, sh a shell shock. It was like, uh, it was a culture shock. It was every shock in the world. It was so competitive. I was the only black person in the program. <laughs> and, um, I, I finished the first year, but the second year was so challenging. And then I had a professor, an audiology professor who told me, uh, this is not working for you. <laughs> Straight out. She didn't ask how I can support you, how I can mm -hmm. help you, how I can make it work. Just straight out, I didn't pass one of her tests and she was nasty. And so I filed a complaint, took it all the way up to the Dean. And then the Dean said, why don't mm -hmm. you just change your major? And I was, and when the dean said it not right <laughs> no support no trying to help me figure it out when the dean said it i said oh it's time to go <laughs> um you know like if you are familiar with speech therapy um mm -hmm. the, the field is predominantly caucasian women yeah. you know yeah. there are not yeah. a lot of people of color in yeah. speech therapy. Yeah. And so I just was like, I did not want to fight that battle. You know, I did not want to, it was too much. It was really hard and it was challenging. And so instead of like, you know, fighting them and, and, you know, fighting to succeed, I just, I was exposed to the Africana studies department through an elective. And I took a, um, it was a, like a, a literature course, but the professor um, focused on all African-American women who were authors and poets. And I fell in love with the program. Mm. And so I changed from communicative disorders to Africana studies. And I got my BA degree in Africana studies. Mm. And um, social work came about, <laughs> it came about because 
Um, I learned that you don't have to take a, a GRE to get into the, the master's program for social work, but every other master's program, they're looking for GREs, mm. uh, test results. And so I am not a good test taker. I get very bad test anxiety. And so I said, you know what? <laughs> I don't need to take the GRE. So I'm going to apply to the social work program. Um, when I got my BA degree, I just knew that you know, for me at the time, I felt like, and I saw, you know, when you have a certain level of education, mm -hmm. there is a certain level of success, a certain level of respect, a certain level of opportunities. And so mm -hmm. I knew that um, cause just with my BA degree, I just, it, I felt like it wasn't enough. I still was working like a few jobs, like one year I had like six W-2s. I was working two, three, mm -hmm. four jobs to stay afloat. And I wanted to get one job where I can just, you know, yes. work one job and not have to work a side gig here, a side mm -hmm. gig there mm -hmm. and picking up little gigs here mm -hmm. to, to sustain um, mm -hmm. the lifestyle that I have, um, you know. Yep. And so that's how the social work program came about. Oh my gosh, I love that. And it's so funny because with the, um, you know, working families, um, low-income families, that is always the thing. Um, I know like a few years ago, I wrote something about that. Like people, you know, will be like, oh, you know, they're not saving or they're not investing. Like you're working three jobs. Like by the time you get home, you're tired. And like the only thing, and you barely even have enough. Like if you had enough in the first place, you wouldn't be trying to pull three jobs. So, <laughs> you know, <Yes>. and <laughs> so you're not saving, you know, you're barely getting, and look, this is kind of personal to me too, because I might have gotten myself structured to get into a better place now, but there was a time when things were so hard, hard from the, um, ex's perspective, as in there was no income flowing in from him, no child support. And then I think that was like during the beginning of the recession, things were not as buoyant as this current recession. You know, like if you had money, you had to spend it down. You know, this as a social worker, like you had certain amounts you had to have in your account. At the end of the day, I was tired and the money still wasn't enough. You know, and that's the thing. You're doing all these things and the money it's is still, still not, not enough. So, you know, <laughs> you, I want to you know another another big goal that I did not foresee with just my BA degree was um, buying a house. Mm. You know, that's one of my huge one of my goals. And that, you know, I just felt like furthering my education would allow me to reach some mm -hmm. of the goals that I want to mm -hmm. obtain and buying a house is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I could mm -hmm. not do that with just my BA degree. Mm -hmm. And like oh, yeah. you said, you know, it's like, it's not enough. It's mm -hmm. not enough. And, and I feel like it's important to emphasize also because I'm a finance person doing this podcast that people need to understand the importance of education. Funny again, I have, an article or blog post I wrote, which was, um, the, it's almost like the importance of education to people that dream. Mm. Like no matter what you're planning for yourself or for your kids, 
like somebody has to sacrifice first. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that sacrifice means you going to get your education so that you're setting up the stage. Now that you got a house, like, you know, the Bible says, you know, we live on an inheritance for our children and our children's children. You got them set up that way. They already see what um, education brings you. They already see, you know, the opportunities you've afforded them now will has given them a peek to what the good things to come will be like. And so even they will continue going up that ladder ladder to, to be, you know, to be better and to do better. Um, and I don't know if um, people understand that. And, and I also see the bondage, truthfully, that all the services bring to food stamp, housing assistance, da, 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 da. that thing can trap you. Yes. It is a spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. tell people it is a spirit. Yeah. I've been on food stamp for a bit. You know, there you can stay. Yeah. It is a choice. Yeah. You know, people get housing assistance, all of those things you can stay. Um people stay and people come back too. Bam, bam. They cut you off of all the assistance and now you have to keep struggling um so definitely kudos to everything you did to get you here um and um i like that you gave me the opportunity to be able to talk about <laughs> some of the things that i'm passionate about on, on that front so thank yeah. you so much for sharing that so i wonder if at this point you can share um the your grief um, story and more, more importantly, like, you know, losing mom, mm -hmm. maybe we can start with that and then you can flow into the, your children's father. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I lost my mom in the summer of 2019 and I had just finished my first year of grad school. Um, when I got into grad school, there's a lot of unpacking and self-reflecting that, that one has to do, and especially mm -hmm. for social work, because you're being of, you're, you're educating yourself to be of service to others. And a big part of the social work program is providing therapy, like there's a clinical piece to it. And so in order to be of service to others, you have to be able to, you know, self-reflect and look at what you've you what you've been through what you've overcome your successes mm -hmm. your struggles and so that first year unpacked so much for me because i had suppressed and buried so much um it wasn't until i got my education that i was even able to openly talk about my learning disability like that mm. was something that I've struggled with for a long time and something that I was embarrassed about something I got teased about something I thought about you know for years and so um a part of the self-reflecting was some of the mental health challenges that I've struggled with personally and I was asked to be on a show and on this show, I talked about some of my childhood struggles and some of the things I've overcome. And the interview, um, my mom didn't like the interview. And um, <laughs> the interview was in April. And, oh, and she passed in June. And she passed in June. The interview was in April. Uh, she was really upset with me. Like I sent her the interview and I told her, you know, 
I did not share my story to hurt anyone. I just, mm -hmm. it's time for me to talk about what I've been through, what I've lived through. This is not to hurt anyone. And it's definitely not to hurt you, but I definitely want to share my story so that I can begin to heal for myself and help others. And so um, May, there was a concert. There's this Stone Soul concert that's every year here. And um, I was going with a friend and her mother was coming. And so I was like, oh, let me see if my mom would come. And I called her and then she was still mad at me. And she, you know, she told me her feelings was oh. hurt and she didn't want to go to the concert with me. So I was like, you know, devastated. Like, oh my gosh, she's really still upset about that interview. And so that was in May. <laughs> June, my son at the time was in the eighth grade and he was graduating. And she came to the graduation with my sister. And um, it was June 13th, she came to the graduation and I gave her a hug and I told her I loved her. And this was something that we never hardly ever did. We hardly ever embraced each other. Um, but I gave her a hug and I told her I loved her. Um, the next day, my sister called me, um, historic. Um, she's saying, mom is unresponsive. The ambulance is here. And I dropped everything and rushed out there in 15 minutes. And when I got there, the ambulance was still working on her. And they said, mm. um, you know, it was over the time that they would usually work on someone. It had been 45 minutes. They still weren't getting a pulse. She wasn't responding. And um, like, I mean, it, um, um, mm. all of emotions, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I hadn't mm -hmm. talked to her, you know, we, mm -hmm. she was upset with me and mm -hmm. then she passed and I was just like, you know, um, that was really devastating. It was really hard for me to, you know, accept the fact that she was no longer here with us. And then, mm -hmm. um, while she laid there on the floor, uh, there was a lot of confusion as to where her body was going to go. And that mm -hmm. night, you know, it was just like, how, how does this happen? Someone passes in their home and then we're left to, you know, first we were told uh, you can call a, a funeral home and have her picked up or, you know, it was, it was like one or two, or if it was like, if we talk to the doctor, you can have her picked up. But if we can't get a hold of the doctor, we may have to take her to the coroner's office and do an autopsy to make sure there was no foul play. So that went back and forth wow. for hours before they picked her up. And so we're like, you know, this is crazy. And so we finally got the okay. They got a hold of her doctor. They got her medical records. She had heart um, issues and um, she had a stent in her heart. And so they ruled out that it was a heart attack. And so okay. we finally were given the green light to have her picked up. She passed at seven. Her body did not get picked up until one in the morning. Wow. And so that it was, it was extremely hard, you know, and then we were left mm -hmm. with, what do we do with her body? Do we cremate her? Do we bury her? She never wanted to have the conversation before she passed. Oh. Another thing that I was trying to do was get her some life insurance. And we were trying to figure out, you know, like write a will, like, what do you want us to do with your body? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? She never wanted to have that conversation. And so we were left 
trying to figure all of that out. And, you know, I, I was at the time like very grateful that like how it happened when it happened mm -hmm. during the time of like of the summer, because I was dead smack in the middle of my program on a summer break. And oh. so, you know, I had a couple months to, to really figure things out and move forward. I, you know, I had people questioning me, like, you're going to continue with your program after your mom just died and you're not going to take a break. And I'm like, no, do you know how hard I work to get where I am? I have two more semesters. Why would I take a break? Because my mom passed, like she would not want me to stop what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. She would want me to keep going. And I had to deal with, you know, figuring, you know, making that decision to mm -hmm. move forward and not stay in that and stay stuck. I had to move forward. And so it, you know, that, that year to come, I, I went in with a mindset, like focus. You know, I am here for a reason, and that is to get my degree. I don't want to deal with nothing or nobody else. And mm -hmm. I isolated myself. I did. And, you know, thinking, like, looking back at it now and thinking about some of the things that I did, I, you know, I probably would have done things different. But at the time, you know, I was still grieving. I was still grieving. I had just lost my mom. And so I just went in and, you know, really you know, have my eyes set on the prize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get my degree and mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with anything mm -hmm. else. And so I didn't socialize as much as I probably should have. I didn't make, you know, uh, build or make fr build friendships like I sh probably should have, but I was, I was hurting and I was still grieving. Look, you, you are okay. There are some of us too that went to colleges. We didn't make uh, do the networking we needed to do. Like, I remember being in college. Uh, I don't even know. I, I had friends, but in hindsight, I'm like, wait, college really should have been about you just mm. meeting a lot of people and networking and networking. Um, so, uh, you know, we learn, like you said, um, and, and then we keep moving on. I want to go back to what you said for a minute about, you know, just re re um, what's the word? Reef affirming what you said that a parents the i don't know the taboo that insurance or planning for their death um brings to them i know for a fact my dad wasn't like that because more because like his background was in um in the stockbroking industry in finance and insurance so that wasn't an issue but his wife though meaning my mother you cannot get her to sit down and um talk death the mere talk of let's plan your death means you're trying to kill her okay that's one and then you can't even get her to get in i remember years ago my older brother tried to get her to get insurance and she was like okay okay i'll do it and then we got everything ready and then it turns out it was one of those insurance where they'll come to the house and draw blood so th there goes that story <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I did all of that with my mom and she got denied because of her health issues. Oh, so the guy that I was working with at the time was like, we can do this guaranteed one. You pay this. It was very expensive and the payout was not as much. And I turned it down mm. and it was literally months after he offered me that, that she passed away. That's freaky. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? 
all is all is well. I think the we are learning. Yes. The um the generations that we're raising, they are also learning. Like these are important conversation. There's a place for insurance. How this um conversation today has gotten into the finance. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I see where it makes sense because you're in the human services field. Yes. So these are all the things that the community that you service needs. Even though we're talking about grief, people also need to, to get their life in order. order yes. so that, we, right? right? We definitely need to get our affairs in mm -hmm. order because mm -hmm. the last thing that I ever want my children to have to do is put up a GoFundMe page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. we have to get our affairs in orders. And even if it's conversations that your elders do not want to have, you need to force it because mm -hmm. you don't want to be left with trying to figure out how you're going to bury them or take care of their, you know, their remains when they mm -hmm. pass. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's funny. Like they don't think about that. I'm like, okay, you're not funding who, you know, how are we burying you when you pass and, and, and yes. things of those nature. Um, it, it's also funny, like in some of my own research personally, like, and this is for any parent, parent listening, who's like a divorced mom, single parent. And it's that, you know, even single parents or um, divorced parents, you know, who, whatever we call ourselves, there's a place for us getting insurance on the ex so if one has a good relationship with the ex get them to be like look we're not trying to kill you but it would be nice to know that five if you miss accidentally pass away five years after the kids are still insured like there's a reason why um people support kids and if that's that person, then get some insurance, you know, even if it's half of what they, they're worth, or even if you're going to take the money out of the child support, it's not like social services is coming after you for yeah. taking $50 every month, you know, take that out, pay towards that life insurance so that the kids, you know, there's something for them in the future. And that's just something that even I just found out. And I'm like, oh, shoot, should have done this like ages ago, right? And so I feel like that's a good segue to talking about um, your children's father. You know, I know he was murdered and, um, you know, leaving you with two beautiful boys um, to take care of. So um, if it's something you're comfortable sharing, can you share um, how he passed and then the work that you're doing now to honor um, what happened to him? Yes. Yeah, so you know, we went into uh, quarantine, this pandemic started in March of mm -hmm. 2020. And April 2nd is when he was murdered. So we weren't even a month oh. into the pandemic and he was murdered. Um, you know, um, God mm. works in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. um, my my youngest son was always with his dad, always with his mm -hmm. dad. And I mean, there were times where he would have all four boys. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, it's just like crazy that this happened on a day where he just so happened to be by himself. 
and um, we found out that he was being followed. And there's a little snippet of a video of a car following him. He had just got off the freeway and he was less than two minutes away from his home. Around the corner from his home, he was driving and someone shot into the car and he was still alive. He crashed into the pole, like his, he was going straight, but his car veered this way and he crashed into a pole. And there so happened to be a few teenage girls, they were out there and they were talking to him, trying to, you know, um, tell him that help was on the way and he was alive for a while but it took the ambulance so long to get there mm. um, he ended up passing on the way to the hospital and so we don't know what happened we don't know you know we don't know anything because um he was not in the streets he was a football coach he you know went to work and he took care of his kids and you know, there's been a bunch of rumors about what happened, what 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 could be, but we don't know. We, we don't know what happened. And so um, I, it was like late at night, his sister called me on the three-way with his mom and told me what happened. And I was just so, I was in disbelief, like, oh my gosh. And, you know, it's, it's really weird because yet again, me and him were at odd, terms we were like not in a good space and I had blocked him <laughs> like in February we got into a little disagreement about football for my at the time my son was in seventh grade and he was asking me about high school and I'm like he's in seventh grade like leave me alone like you're bothering me leave me alone like I don't want to have this conversation right now and I blocked him because he called me out my name and, you know, we got into a little argument through a text and that was in February. So I hadn't even talked to him when he passed. And so oh, it's just man. like crazy. Like this happened with both, mm -hmm. you know, these were my two go-tos. These was, these were my main support systems, like mm -hmm. their dad and my mom. If any, if I ever needed anything, whether we were not talking or not, I could call both of them. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I got the call, I, you know, I was just like, so distraught, like, what, what do I do? What am I gonna, how am I gonna tell this to my kids? How am I gonna tell my boys that their mm -hmm. dad was just murdered? And so I did not have the courage to do it by myself. And I took them over to their, um, to the, to his mom's house, their grandmother's house and, um, told them there. And, um, you know, that day it was, it was really hard. Um, he has two other kids and, you know, we all met over there at his mom's house and, you know, it was a house full of us and we got together and we had a candlelight visual. And, and so since then I've been advocating for, um, it started with a reward to offer for, uh, any in information leading to, you know, arrest and conviction of whoever's involved. And mm -hmm. I got, um, the Richmond Police Department to uh, release this reward and it's $10,000. And so um, anyone with information um, for Anthony's death, you know, if there is someone um, arrested and convicted, then they are um, gonna be rewarded with $10,000. And that's been my biggest push was to get mm -hmm. that reward out. And since I've done an interview with the Guardian, there's a um, 
an uh, article out about gun violence because after he was actually the first murder victim in Richmond, California. And then after he died, after he was murdered, there were multiple murders in Richmond. Like it just, it just went crazy in Richmond and Oakland and San Francisco, like so many murders when in each city, the numbers had started to decline. And then, you know, we get into this pandemic and now all of a sudden numbers are rising and it's mm. just like crazy. Like we're supposed to be in the house right yeah. now. How are you guys out killing people, mm -hmm. you know? And my biggest thing is there is a murderer walking around mm -hmm. while we mourn. Mm -hmm. People are gossiping about what happened and we're mourning. There's someone who is walking free and we are mourning, you know? Like this man had four kids and his youngest son is two years, three years old now. He was two at the time. Oh. And so he's not gonna have any recollection of his dad, you know? Yeah. yeah. So um, my biggest fight has been to get answers, get answers from my boys. Like my boys deserve to know what happened, you know? Um, and so I've been a part of this support group that this woman um, named Dewanda does in Richmond. And she it's for anyone who has lost a family member in Richmond. And she meets uh, once a month, I believe it's like once or twice a month. And we get together and we just, you know, talk about um, our loved ones mm -hmm. um, in ways to keep their name alive. And one of the things that she's doing now, um, she's actually advocating to collaborate with the Richmond Police Department and find better ways for them to notify families of their loved ones being killed. Okay. And so trying to involve chaplains, trying to involve counselors. And she had this, this one meeting where there was the captain, the sergeant, the lieutenant, all at this meeting and she had us talk about our loved ones and that meeting was so powerful like out of that meeting came the guardian interview um i had she told me to share pictures and share his story share his story talk about who he was and so like i was i was barely able to get through what i had to say because i was bawling so much but i just showed picture after picture after picture after picture and talked about who he was and it was very powerful. And so, you know, that's that's been my work. I've been advocating to get the word out about the reward, advocating to get justice and advocating to keep his name alive. Like he touched so many people with his coaching and so mm. many children like loved him and, you know, looked up to him. And he did a lot for his community and he did a lot for free for his community. And so I've been advocating to keep his name alive and to get, you know, justice. Mm -hmm. So what does advocating look like? Um, and I guess when I, let me explain that. Um, so if I wanted to advocate for someone, if someone is listening and they want to advocate for the loss of um, a loved one, um, it could be through being murdered it could be that maybe they died at home um, and, and you know, you don't know what happened. Um, 
I feel like that's also a different type of advocacy. Like, you don't know what happened. Like, you know, did someone not take care of them properly? Um, did, did someone push an older person and made them fall? You know, those type of things. How would you advise that someone go about it using whatever um, steps and processes you've discovered along the way? So for me, um, my advocacy came around um, justice for Anthony. Um, it started with, okay, so I was on Facebook and I saw this post and on the post was, a, it was a flyer and it had the chief, well, she was an intern and it was interim, um, an African-American woman was the interim chief of police for Richmond. And this was the first, and then she actually got elected to be, so now she's currently chief of police. Okay. And so on the flyer was her, the woman, Dewanda, who I talked about with the support group, um, Gonzalez, um, Mr. G is what I know him as, and he has a peacekeeper um, nonprofit. Okay. And um, I recognized him because he did some work at my son's school. And so I looked at the flyer and I was like, hmm, there's some heavy hitters on here. <laughs> Let me see. And so that's where I just started to pick each person on the flyer and reached out to them. So I started with the chief of police um, at the time and I sent her a message on Facebook and I explained who I was and I explained how I found her and I um, want, and I asked her how we could, you know, get a reward. Um, can you talk to the family about what are, what's, where is the investigation? Um, and so then I reached out to Dewanda and I um, inquired about what she was doing and found out about this program that this, mm. the support group that she has. And so advocating for me started with reaching out to the chief of police, reaching out to the investigators, asking questions. Where are we at with the investigation? What, how can we support you with the investigation? What leads do you have? What information do you need? Um, just mm. reaching out to, you know, wherever you are, reaching out to the department, the police department, and finding out who the investigator is on the case. Because when someone's murdered, there's automatically an investigator assigned to the case. And so reaching out to the department and asking questions, how can we support you? What can we do? What information do you have? What information do you need? You know, so it, it can start with just a little conversation. It can start with just a message inquiring about where they are with the investigation. And, you know, every situation is different. And mm -hmm. for me, I just, um, it's it just, there are some unsettling feelings, you know, where, when something like this happens and you just don't know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what happened. So you don't know if people are watching you. You don't know if people are watching where he lived and mm -hmm. watching us come and go. You don't, you know, you just don't know. And so um, a lot of my advocating came into play because I want justice for my boys. Mm -hmm. uh, me mm -hmm. and Anthony were together for uh, 20 years on and off. I met him when I was 16 years old. And we were together 10 years before we even had children. And so, you know, even though we were not okay when he passed, we weren't talking mm -hmm. when we passed, there's still a lot of love there. You know, there's still a lot of loyalty. I've, I've always been loyal to him. And I, 
we have kids together. Like mm-hmm. my son, my 15 year old, when my 15 year old is asking me what's going on with the investigation, like I can't sit back and do nothing. Yeah. I have to show them that I'm trying, that mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to get answers. And so that's where it started. It's like, you know, my kids are asking and wanting to know what's going on. And so I have to do my due justice, my due diligence to get justice for their father. Yeah. Oh, again, I am so sorry. You know, it's a grief loss in itself is a lot. And then to, to add the extra layer to be murdered, you know, that's just something. And I totally understand like the, the, the thoughts that come into one's mind about, you know, you don't know what happened. You know, you don't know who's watching or if any, you know, if it was just a, uh, um, something that shouldn't have happened that he just got the brunt of. Um, he sounded like a great dad. Um, you know, like it takes a man to to coach <laughs> children. That's one credit to him. And then to even have a man who shows up for all of his children, you know, not just like two on this side this weekend and two on the other side, but to put them together, you know, and that's, that's one legacy. thing that he really he he kept them together like he would keep our kids every other weekend and so he didn't do the separate he caught all mm-hmm. fours he got he got all four of his boys every other weekend and that's and you know these boys grew up together like mm-hmm. and this is he kept them together and so yeah, it, it, he was very hands-on and I fought for it. You know, it's like, I'm not raising these boys by myself. We need mm-hmm. a schedule. We need, you know, uh, to alternate weekends and days and when you picking them up. <laughs> oh, there's a new movement out there now for that. And truthfully, it's the best thing to do because, you know, women need time to themselves. Um, it is unfair for anyone you know either married or unmarried to just dump the whole responsibility on one human being and I say that even for myself like mm-hmm. I may get child support but like it is a lot of work yeah to to be the sole custodian without any breaks on weekends um or like in any near future um and a lot of men do it I hopefully this maybe someone has a male in their life and they can advise them to to do better on that side but it's it's unfair to the women you know maybe some women are strong which shouldn't be a reason to to take advantage of them um there's so many things we can do with that time if um a spouse um an ex-spouse or an ex-partner chips in you know there's time for self-care there's time to go earn more money mm-hmm. there's time for you two to go get a new partner you know so there's a lot of things um and i don't know why all this ugh, men with kids don't yeah we we need to fight more for that oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah you're right we need to fight more like from the get-go we need to figure out a way to empower women going through it to be like, you need to just do this. I know better now for me too. Um, I didn't know that in the past, but yeah, definitely like equal footing, fight for everything. 
So thank you um, for sharing that. So I wonder if you can share like, so how did you cope? It was a hard time. You had two deaths. Um, how did you cope? What were your um, coping mechanism, um, so to say? So um, for me, it's my faith and my religion. Okay. Um, it's, it's really, you know, like this journey has been, oh, it's been, you know, you just never, you just never know. Um, I was, I fell off, I grew up in church and I fell off for a while. And when I moved from the city to the East Bay, uh, I would commute back and forth to the city and, and try to stay, you know, try to stay in church, but it became too much. And then I would think about, you know, um, my kids and if people would, will accept them. And so I was out of church for a while and it was after I had went through this um, this trial <laughs> mm -hmm. where I beat this case, and I was like, you know what? Ooh, I need to go back to church because I know mm -hmm. the Lord is working on me. And so I just I found I it was um, a Facebook post that I saw, and it was a, a friend that I had known since high school. He became a pastor and, and started a church. And so I would see these, all these spiritual posts. I would see all these, you know, quotes. And then one slapped me in my face. It was WTF, where's thy faith? And I was like, woo. <laughs> so after I saw that post, I went to church the following Sunday and never turned back. And, you know, I would sit as close as I can because I'm, I'm, I, I, mindset with the purpose I need to I need this spiritual healing mm. right and so I just I fell in love with his teachings and I just like you know I felt like this was what I was missing and so I just I I really became I I just started to and I'm like losing my words right now but mm -hmm. um take your time I just started to, you know, read scripture. I started to pray, but I also started to apply the teachings, mm. you know, you know, you hear a sermon about putting God first, right? And what does putting God first mean? That means getting up in the morning and, you know, reading, developing a routine, reading scripture, having conversations with the Lord, praying and then I started to work with my first lady and um, she introduced me to this book. It's called Command Your Morning by Cindy. Oh, Trey. I follow Cindy. I follow to... Cindy. Oh, this book. I, I need to I need to listen more to her words. I, I just sometimes I just I just go past her post, but I follow her. <laughs> it's Command Your Morning, Unleash the Power of God in Your Life. Mm. Ooh, okay. Look, okay. it's a page turner. And after this book, I was just like, oh my God. And so I developed a routine. And so that was in 2017 when I went back to church. So that was two years before my mom passed. And then now looking back, I feel like he was preparing me. Yes. Like he was preparing me for what was mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. Because if I wouldn't, if I hadn't developed the routines that I have now, I wouldn't be where I am mm -hmm. because I, you know, when my mom passed, my first lady told me to stay close. She said, stay close. 
She told me, you know, you know, you hear about people when they lose a loved one, they fall off, right? Fall off of everything, fall off yeah. of their routines, going to yeah. church, everything. She told me, stay close. And mm. then she gave me a leadership position. Mm. She asked me to lead hospitality. And in that, it just did something for me. It did something for me. I've always been in the kitchen. I've been cooking since I was like eight or 10. And growing up in church, like I would help, you know, in the kitchen, serving food, cleaning up, preparing the food, and always had a job in the church. And um, I've cooked for, you know, programs. I've cooked, I've had private clients, but I always gravitated towards food. And so within the church, there was an older woman at the time who was leading and she left. But prior, before she left, I would always, I guess they saw it. I would always, you know, we would have events and I would always go help her in the kitchen. I would always, you know, ask her, you know, I would always gravitate towards the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to lead and I was, you know, I was shocked. I was like, really? Like, you want me to lead? And then what do I do with this? And she told <laughs> me to pray on it. And so, you know, I was just like, I can't say no to this. I, yeah. you know, this is my assignment. I felt it and I just ran with it. And so um, I became leader of hospitality in the same year my mom passed in 2019. And it was November of 2019. Wow. That is, um, that is something. The book you just shared, let me, I, I want to share a similar story. So I feel like for me, a book that prepared me for my dad passing is called, um, Soul Keeping mm. by, um, it's by John Ortberg. Okay. It's based on Dallas Willard, mm. the pastor, um, such a humble guy, such humble words, but profound insights. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd come across the book in 20, which year are we in? Sweet Church of Lynn. I think it was 2018, like the fall. Um, and I just read it from cover to cover, but then that book just never left me alone. First of all, the, the, the Bible program, the Bible Tuesday Night Alive we did in my old church that I found it out from, even had nothing to do with the book. But it was just like, you know, when um, someone is talking, like the pastor was teaching, and I was like, oh, question. Book reader here, what's the name of the book? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, the book I was referring to is this book, which we did the, weren't you here where we did the study? Like, to something ago. I was like no I didn't sign up for that one anyway it turned out that book for me was profound just teaches you like you know the space I got into with the with the grief of my dad and what I'm trying to also draw out is that so in 2019 I'd left the book alone I learned the teaching but just when the pandemic started I would start writing maybe a couple months into it. I was so deep into reading Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, like really digging into it every day. And then soul, 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 just would keep dropping at me. Ooh. And so I would write things down. I'll just post it on Instagram. Like all, my, my Instagram page is so off key. You'd be like, why is she posting about soul? 
violent. And then I'll be talking about Dark Knight of the Soul, which is what the book also talks about. And funny enough, with my dad passing, I'm telling you, like, I'd look at the thing that I wrote and I'm like, wow, mm. this is true. Because I'm there right now. And those words helped me. It's funny, as you say, that sometimes we're being prepared for what is to come. Like my dad and I would talk like days and day, not days. What am I saying? Like we could talk for like an hour, even though it was in Nigeria. Like, you know, I'd be talking to him. And even though I talked and I asked so much questions, like there were still questions I wanted to ask, but I was like, no, I'll ask him. I, I just never thought my dad would die. So th there's that. Um, and there is the, oh, maybe like, I remember even our last con our conversations in September, um, but like there was one that was like saying something, I was like, no, you know, I don't agree with what you're saying, but anyway, you're my dad, da, 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 da. So, you know, th there was that static, but like, we're still chatting back and forth, but we never went back to the conversation because in my head, I'm like, you know what, that thing's going to be over. And then I'll ask him what all that was about in January. So for me, that is my only hold up with my dad. Like there was that one thing I could have, I'm bleeping myself out, asked him, but I was like, <laughs> I'll ask him in January when all of that is over. And, and that hurts a lot. Um, my therapist has told me though that what I'm going through, what I felt, what I just described is not unique uh -huh. to me alone. <laughs> like a lot of people have it which is what you just said there's always that oh my gosh I wish wish I wish yeah so yeah and you know you said something that I can relate to too it's like I thought my mom would be here forever like I would have never thought that she would pass when she did like wow like and then I think about you know I think, you know, it's all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that come in, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. man, I wish I could do a Trader Joe run for her right mm -hmm. now, you know? I mm -hmm. wish I could pick her up and take her wherever she needs to go, you know? I, yeah, I never... I wish thought. I could go to Nigeria. Like, I wish at the beginning of a pandemic, I'd take my butt off and go into Nigeria. That, that, um, that always comes to mind because I'm like... And even before then, I'm like, there were so many things which... I think about my like, okay, was that God nudging me then to do certain things? And then I just passed it off, you know, be like, nah, that's you're just being extra, or you know, you're doing too much. Um, yeah, so I get those, but you know, my I'm trying to live life um without holding <laughs> did I just know holding on too much to all those memories because they do um they do weigh you down they do yeah. weigh you down yeah um I, I know that you're also in a better place because you're in in the social work field so um so that's good too so um I want to ask you to share about the book for a few as we slowly get to rounding up Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Um, let's see. I've talked about wanting to write a book for like 10 years because Ooh. of my childhood and my teen years. I really went through a lot, an ordeal of just stuff, right? Just, oh God, uh, domestic violence, uh, suicide attempt. Mm. Um, and I mentioned earlier the trial. So I, I fought for uh, my freedom 
two different occasions, two different cities, San Francisco and Oakland. I took two, I took the case to trial and, and won both times. And so, you know, a lot of people say, what? When I tell people that, like, for instance, my second year in grad school, I did an internship at the public defender's office in Martinez. And so oh, wow. during that interview, uh, she asked me, so have you ever been arrested? Have you ever, and I'm like, uh, yes. Have you ever been convicted of a crime? No. And she's like, ooh, tell me more. You know, mm-hmm. she wants to hear more. And so I tell her what happened and she's like, oh my God, like, why aren't you a lawyer? <laughs> um, the book came about, okay, so, you know, August, 2020, we're still in the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. I graduated in May um, after Anthony passed. It, I mean, there was a, a moment he passed in April. I was set to graduate in May. And there was a time where I was, I mean, you know, when he first yeah. happened, I was just like, how am That's I going to write lot. my capstone paper? You know, I had to write this 25 page paper to get my degree. And so, you know, I struggled with that for mm. a moment. Like there was a brief, very brief second where I almost was just like, you know, how am I going to get through this? Like how, like my mama and then him. And it's just like, come on, like how? And I mustered up the courage, right? And I was like, once I finished my capstone paper, it was like a 25 page paper. And it was one of the most challenging papers. Um, I never, you know, I didn't, me and writing, we have a love hate thing going on. (laughs) Oh, okay. I always love reading. I always love reading. And I would escape in books when I was a child. Like I always gravitated towards reading. Um, And so, you know, after I got my degree, it was in May. And then my, my, my big 40th was in August. I turned 40 in August. And so I had a really nice gathering with some girlfriends and I was talking about, you know, writing my book. And even when I graduated from school, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to share my story. I'm ready to share my story. And so August came and one of my girlfriends at the time was in the middle of writing and finishing her book. And she had was talking about her um, her partner is a, a coach, a life coach, mm. and he does this uh, group coaching program. And so, at my birthday, she was talking about a master class that he was offering. And so I was like, okay, I'll go to the master class and see. And at the master class, I was like, okay, let me do this because you know after school I was doing nothing. I mean, other than looking for work, I was looking mm-hmm. for work. And I was getting lowballed, so I turned jobs down, and I, you know, I wasn't in a rush to 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 work, and so I was just like, you know, looking around like, okay, what's next? What am I doing? And I I became bored really quick. Like I was like, I cannot sit home and do nothing. And I was like, okay, let me just let me see what this master class and this group coaching program is about. And that's how the book came about. Mm-hmm. And so I I um, joined the group coaching program, and in that. So the, the program is called uh, TNE. I was going to ask, yeah. TNE, <laughs> team No Excuses. Okay, so it's T N E. Excuse it. Is it .com or something? No, no. So that's the name of the program. Eddie Moore is oh. the coach. Okay, and, Eddie um, Moore. So okay. okay. It's um, TNE, Team No Excuses, right? And so, you know, he lays this foundation where you 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 write goals, you actually, he, he starts with telling you to envision where you see yourself in 90 days, um, not 90 days, uh, the 12 week program, three months, three months, okay. right? Where okay. you see, see yourself mm-hmm. in three months. 
and then you you uh, write goals for the three months, and then mm-hmm. you you accomplish them by writing weekly goals. And so mm-hmm. I went and I said, okay, I'm a, I had two things that I wanted to do. First, I was gonna do my book, and then I was like, okay, well, let me work on something else. So I Chaza's hands is after named after my mom, and Chaza was her nickname, and um, it's my food baby. And so I was like, you know, back and forth. Do I want to focus on one or the other? Do I do both? And so I just decided to start chipping away at both. And so um, the food actually became quite challenging. And and then I got discouraged a little bit because there were so many parts that you have to have in order to, you know, sell food. You know, you Mm got to have a health permit, seller's permit, Mm -hmm. all this stuff, right? And, but the book, I started to write uh, goals where I would write for 30 minutes a day. 30 to 60 minutes was the goal to write a day. And so I just started, you know, by, by then, um, the program started in September, early September. And then I found a job and started my job September, mid-September. And so I was working and doing the, the goal, the, still doing the group coaching program. So I would start writing mm. on my lunch break. And I started, you know, on my lunch break, I'm writing. And then after work, I was starting to write. And, you know, coach would say things like, you know, you spend eight hours a day helping someone else and building their business. Mm-hmm. Why are you not spending two or three hours to yep. build your business? Yep. And, you know, I never thought about entrepreneurship, but there are, there are so many people around me that are entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I, my thing was, you know, I get my degree and I'll have a job and I'll be good. But I started to see other things when I got oh, yeah. that Social group. work field is a great field to have a private practice here in the right I started place. To, and, and, and I'm so, you said that. And I like, so that's one of my goals too, is to build my private practice. And so, you know, I started chipping away and I just, 12 weeks later, I, my manuscript was done. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) And Coach was blown away. Like, Coach rants and raves. Like, he's like, I I haven't even done what you did. Like, you gonna have to coach me. He said to me one time, you gonna have to coach me. Like, (laughs) how did you do this? How are you smashing out a chapter a week? So that's what I started to do. I started to write a chapter a week. And it wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't write goals to write a chapter a week. I wrote goals to write 30 to 60 minutes a day. And that's what got me to where I, you know, 12 weeks later, Mm. I had a manuscript. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Don't worry, who knows? I keep trying, my my focus is to continue in the finance field. But as you know, I dabble in, I've always worked in human services, um, even though in the finance and accounting side. Mm. But at the same time, all my other, activities outside of work is more human services ish um i have um, i guess my thinking is it's 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 harder to transition out of um finance even in my agency i found like you know even for family services worker position nowadays you still need to have um a social work um a degree so me saying oh i work in the same building as you all um it's not getting me in 
and that was I think that was the hardest part for me um, to realize. Um, I think one time I also I was like, oh, I'll go get a psych D. And I remember talking to um, a, a friend, um, a lady in church who worked in the same department. She was a doctor. She had taken eight years or something to get the psych D in those days. Mm-hmm. And she was like, ah, you don't even need to do all that anymore. Like, just go get the, the master's in social work. Sometimes I wonder the amount of time I've been asking about master's in social work. I would have been finished by now. Mm. So I need, I need to, to figure out this year. Um, it's part of my goal. It's listed in my goal. It's either yeah. to do like my CF um, series six exams and all of those type of um, insurance and then finance brokerage type of exams, but just to one time go for um, social work mm. and, that, and, and just call it a day. I feel like yeah, that's, I need to figure that out this year because on my board at work, I've had CPA, I'll get my CPA by 2023 because that being divorced just threw that out the window. Again, like what you were saying about shared custody and all of that, I didn't have that. So there was no way to pursue any dream of finishing um, a CPA exam. You can't be taking a CPA exam while also nursing like a five-month-old baby and you have a, seven, a five-year-old and another how old was he seven-year-old and a four-year-old it was just everywhere um but i totally love your story about the social work so so that's how i'm sharing sharing that we'll see again the title of the podcast is called loving the work you do at some point everyone will find out the work <laughs> i finally um attach myself to but this is part of the journey to mm. to figure that out too so Thank you so much for being here with me today for sharing all that. So can you share your social media handles with the people listening, where they can find you, where they can find your book when it comes out and when your book is coming out? Thank you so much, Gloria, for having me and the opportunity to share my story and your platform to share um, where they can find my information. So. Uh, Facebook, I go by Tisha Harvey. It's just my name on, on Facebook, Tisha Harvey. Um, on IG, I have a page for my book. So my book is titled Survivor Turned Provider. Uh-huh. And um, it's Survivor Turned Provider book on IG. Okay. I have a website where I'm doing pre-sales right now. And I'll probably do the pre-sale for probably about another week. We're actually, um, tomorrow will be my second week. And I've already surpassed okay. my goals. And yeah. so I've been back and forth, like, do I keep it going or do I stop it? Because I'm, I'm offering a special gift for people who pre-order okay. the book. And so my website is www.stpbook.com. Okay. <laughs> stpbook.com. Okay. We'll put, I'll put all those in the blog um, write up so people can, you know, look there for the information. Uh, What's the, the gift? What's the gift? Candles? Um. <laughs> I'm not sharing what the gift is. This is a surprise. And it's actually a custom made. Well, I guess I can share it. I don't mind. Yes, let people see it here. <laughs> I don't mind sharing. We get dibs. Yes, please. Okay. So one of my 
many skills. I love arts and crafts. And I love, mm. like, I used to work for Oakland uh, Parks and Rec and at an after school program. And we did a lot of science and art and, and I miss it. And so I said, ooh, what can I do with my art skills to offer a special gift for people who yes. pre-order the book? So this is what I'm doing. Oh, that's pretty. Now these, oh. I am custom. I'm, I'm going to kind of like cater them to each person who pre-ordered okay. the book. And so I, um, my- Is it a prayer bead? Is it um? Uh... So this is um, a beaded bookmark. Oh, oh, neat. So you take it and you can hold your place. Oh my in the gosh. So different, right? It's yeah. so- and so, and it's, and it's, and it's, you know, this is something that I, I was like, how can I make something that's different, something that's original mm -hmm. and something that is personal to the person who bought the book, right? And so my, my, my goal was to, you know, I was going to ask people what their favorite color was and kind of like cater it around that. Okay. okay. And so um, it's really pretty. I can see that once we get out of, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, the whole COVID hibernation, you know, you're at the beach or at the pool reading your book or not. And, you know, <laughs> and so this is the special gift and oh, thank I'm, you for sharing I'm worth about, you know, if I'm going to do this and something else, but this is the start of the special gift for people who order pre-order books. Okay. And you all um, listening to the podcast, you can't see this, but it's really pretty. It's um, like a string of pearls at the end with, um, with a medallion of sort. And then it's really long. You can put it in the book and then it drops down like you have on a necklace that's um, like a two-tier thingy. It's real pretty. I don't think I'm describing it as, as beautifully as it looks. I like that. wonder Thanks. if it could do like be a window chime too and go bing, bing. <laughs> so um, I'm pulling out my that. artsy, crafty skills and I'm going to make a couple of, well, I have now, I have so many orders. I'm just like, I'm mm. like, I mean, they are showing up and showing out they are blowing my mind like my exceeded my expectations okay. i did not expect to sell these many books during the pre-sale and i was just like oh like one of my professors ordered 10 books oh wow that's beautiful oh and my she god is like i need 10 books i need them all signed because <laughs> so that's a that's a, a skill that not everyone truly has you know to write and um so yeah you know you're you're doing a great thing and that information that you have in there i know it's like being a survivor um the the grief part is there a little bit of the advocacy part yes. um yeah that's really going to be helpful yes. I, I so like yes I'm, I'm definitely talking about my grief i'm talking about my mental health challenges i'm talking about advocacy and i'm also sharing resources which is a special part of the book too okay. in the back i'll have a number of resources for people uh, related to food related to education legal resources and mental health resources as well okay awesome amazing once again, thank you so much for being here. And um, thanks to everyone else for listening. See yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gloria. Bye. Bye. Bye.